This is the Waters and Harvey Show. I'm Darren Waters. And I'm Marcus Harvey. Is there a growing culture of civic disengagement? This year, the Institute for Emerging Issues at North Carolina State University will be hosting a series of related public forums, one of which will explore this question. And we'll be looking at communities that are demonstrating resilience. One community they should certainly have their eye on is Asheville Southside community. Their community leaders are coming together in a way that is reinvigorating civic and community engagement on a significant scale. Join us today for a conversation about the Southside community with one of the primary leaders in this effort, Mr. Seku Coleman. Marcus and I will be back in a moment. Again, this is the Waters and Harvey Show. This is Darren Waters, and as usual, and as always, I am very, very happy to be here in the studio. Happy to have you all in the listening audience, and also happy to be here with my brother, Dr. Marcus Harvey. Marcus, how is life? It's good. I'm, 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 I'm here. I'm happy to uh, address this very pertinent topic of civic engagement or perhaps disengagement, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is very germane to what we're facing politically right, right, right. now in this country. It really is. You and I have had a number of number of conversations about this, and at the beginning of the show, you know, we ta- I, I mentioned the Institute for Emerging Ideas at North Carolina. Carolina State University, you know, a, an important institute, I think, in the work that they're doing there. It was established in 2002, and I j- was just recently there for conversations about mm-hmm. this whole issue of civic engagement and why are we so disengaged. Um, they gave some um, s- striking statistics of when I was there in those meetings, some things that I didn't know about. And this is coming from the 2010 Civic Health Index, and it found that North Carolina ranks 42nd 42nd in the nation for volunteering, 44th for participation in non-electoral policy activities, and 39th for group affiliations and memberships of people who actually volunteer or join local uh, or philanthropic organizations or organizations, of, uh, what do we want to say, nonprofit organizations that are doing important work. And people don't seem to get out that much to engage their communities. And Marcus, I, when I was listening to that, I thought I couldn't help but think about my own grandparents because I know that mm-hmm. my grandparents who were in the Burton Street community, which is on the west side of here in the city of Asheville, were very engaged in their community. I don't think that there was a night that I did not see them volunteering their time to be at the local community center, just to be, which was important mm-hmm. for uh, for my generation to see them there and to yeah. learn from them. <clears throat> and how 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 ironic to some to some extent that. Uh, that in in a country that often boasts about its status as a paragon democracy, we're now facing this issue of, of civic disengagement, um, even in states like North Carolina. Right. Um, it, uh, this is just very ironic to me. Right. So I'm, I'm curious to, 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 to delve deep, into uh, this. De- delve further into this issue. Because so I'm wondering, you know, some people may be asking the question, you know, why should we be concerned about this? I mean, you, you mm. and I can't help but think about an earlier conversation that you and I had. When we talked to your mother, we realized that as academics that we are somewhat in privileged, uh, in privileged positions, mm-hmm. um, although it took a lot of work to get here. Yeah, yeah. Um, we now are these two people who get to spend time, you know, with books, thinking about these questions. Mm-hmm. But your mother made the point, some people are out working every day. They don't have time to uh, to really think about yeah, some of these and, questions. And, and they're out working because, I would argue in part, because of the, the, the kinds of pressures exerted upon them 
uh, by you know uh, a capitalist democratic society. I mean, so I, th- th- so I think it's important to name that too. And at the same time, though, we have to ask the question, you know, um, does that absolve them of the responsibility mm-hmm. to be engaged um, at, at the civic level? And, right. you know, I think that can be debated, you know, one way or the other. Right. But the conversation is important to have nonetheless, I think. It is. And there's one other thing I think about as you say that, and you and I have talked about this, mm-hmm. and I talk to my students about this at the university from time to time, is that we really need to have a conversation about who is defining the American dream, mm-hmm. who, who is defining the American dream for you. Are you an active participant in defining what that means for yourself? And I think that that is an important thing for people to to take into consideration. And, and, and I, I would add to that. I mean, is, is the notion of the American dream even a useful idea anymore? That's true. That's uh, true. Do we need to hold on to it, or do we need to you know to find it. find another language, another right. another another uh, term? You're absolutely right. So, I think, so I'm looking forward, as you said, to this conversation because we're going to talk to Mr. Seku Coleman, and we will be back with that conversation conversation in just a few minutes. Again, this is Watterson Harvest Show. We are so glad that you are here listening and staying with us on this, I think, a very special show to talk about civic engagement. We're here at Blue Ridge Public Radio in Asheville, North Carolina. And I am so glad to have here in the studio with us again, Marcus, Mr. Seku Coleman, who many of our our listeners will remember uh, having heard before because he's been here on the show before to talk about another project that he's involved in, uh, the Beneath the Veneer Project, but we're not going to talk about that project today because we'll come back to that at a later point but what we really want to talk about is the south side community project that he is involved with known as and i now like this term south side rising so seku welcome back to the show thank you welcome for coming back you. in thank you thank you right. very much let's just let's just jump into let's jump into this topic south side community what can you tell us one thing I'm sure that some people may need to know, Seku, is where exactly is the Southside community? Well, it's interesting because when you hear people talk about Asheville today, um, you hear a lot of terms thrown around. You hear the South Slope. You hear mm-hmm. the River Arts District. Um, and um, in and, and, and reality, uh, the Southside community is a historically black community uh, that at one point encompass both the River Arts District and the South Slope, as well as portions of downtown. Um, When you look at the majority of the South Side community today, it exists in what is known as Census Tract 9. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, Census Tract 9 probably has uh, the highest levels of uh, gentrification and poverty um, in this part of the state. So you've got these twin forces uh, working at, um, or in some cases, against the residents of the community. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got the uh, the South Slope community uh, encroaching from one area mm-hmm. uh, where you'll find um, apartments and um, affordable living uh, condos being put up. Uh, one place right across from the uh, from the stadium is being listed as uh, early places are available for 675,000, I think they start. Yeah, oh and this is pretty much right directly across from Lee Walker Heights, which is going to wow. be torn down this summer. Um, and then you've got uh, Missions uh, Hospital Campus, which is... Um, 
um, steadily growing. There's mm-hmm. construction going on there. Mission, by the way, is actually just outside of the census tract, but their uh, their construction has a big impact on that community. Right. And then you've got the River Arts District, which um, w- had a lot of activity when uh, when there was more going on with the trains. Um, and the, the trains would not have even have been coming into Asheville if it weren't for uh, prison labor after mm-hmm. the Civil War. Mm-hmm. So there's a there's a strong connection there. Um, at one point, the Southside community had hundreds of uh, black businesses uh, and homes and institutions. And because of all of the kinds of things that have threatened uh, and challenged the other uh, black communities here in Asheville, uh, that black community is a struggling one at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. For, the, for those who may not know, could you could you speak a bit, if, if, if you will, about sort of when when things began to change for Southside, right? Um, when it sort of became, uh, you know, census track nine. <laughs> um, and when, you know, the River Arch District emerges, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, you'll see a lot of that happening around the time of, you know, redlining, urban renewal, when you get the situation where the, the homes and the businesses um, of, uh, of black people uh, were not being given the same opportunity to uh, to exist uh, that was going on in other parts of the city. So these these homes, these businesses were seen as uh, as blight uh, as blighted. They were seen as not part of the uh, the city's ecosystem. Um, and so uh, ultimately, what began to happen um, from a variety of different angles, when you had, for example, the Livingston Street School, which is now the Eddington Center, we can come back and talk about that. But that was one of the uh, African-American schools in the city that was shut down um, when the city decided to integrate schools. Um, And it was turned into a community center, but um, the community center itself was owned by the city, um, Parks and Rec, and they then, in the early 2000s, decided that rather than renovate that facility, they were going to open up a new Mm -hmm. facility right down the street. So that's how you get the Wesley Grant Center. Um, Yards away from the Eddington Center, right. yeah. Uh, but you know the 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 Grant Center doesn't get the same level of engagement and participation in programming that the the Eddington Center does. Say, mm. uh, uh, this this raises a question because I've heard uh, conversations going on about you know why don't people use the Wesley Grant the new center the Wesley Grant Center and Dr. Wesley Grant was an important figure in the African American community here for years years I was growing up here. Um, so, you know, it's, it's great that it was named in honor of him. But I think about that deep, deep history of the Livingston, the Reed Center, the Eddington Center now it has a deep history. And this brings up in my mind the issue about place. You know, and I've talked a lot about this in um, in my own academic work, and this may be kind of my old world attitude, but I think that place, I, at least I feel like the place is important, that, it, uh, that having a sense of place. So if that is, you know, and you can please argue with me or disagree with me <laughs> if necessary here, but I would say that if place is important, what does it do to people to be displaced? What is the impact of that? 
It's it's huge. It's huge. I mean, you when you look first of all just at, at, at homes and businesses, you know, and when you are um, when you're conducting business uh, with the community in a community, and that's no longer a viable option for you either because you can't afford to do it, uh, or your clientele uh, is is relocating or is no longer available, or you don't have the kind of support that you did in order to run that business. Uh, that's damaging. Uh, when you are living in a community and can no longer afford to live there and can no longer afford to keep those relationships with neighbors um, and other institutions in your neighborhood together, uh, that's going to have an impact on you. You're going to begin to feel as though you're not wanted, as though that there's no no real place for you, you're not understood. Um, and that has, has led to residents, not just in Southside, but all over um, in Asheville and in, in, uh, Asheville's formerly black communities, leaving and not coming back. Um, mm-hmm. Because what is there to come back to? Mm-hmm. What is there to to build when you look at the South Side community, um, the the majority of um, Black residents uh, are either uh, elders who have mm-hmm. lived in the community for a very long time, um, or they are public housing uh, residents mm-hmm. um, who are at danger, uh, at, at risk because of lots of policies that are going on uh, within the housing authority um, and how uh, homes are um, being moved around, uh, communities are being uh, rebuilt. Um, and there's never the certainty that when you're relocated from this community that you're going to be able to move back. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. It, it really seems like this, the Southside community's recent history of displacement um, makes necessary um, something like a project called Southside Rising. <laughs> so uh, could you say a bit about what that's all about, um, Seiku? Um if you would. Absolutely. So Southside Rising is 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 an event uh, taking place on the 14th of July um, at the Eddington Center. Um, and before I get into the event itself, I want to talk a little bit about how it came to be. Um, and it's through an initiative known as the Southside Arts and Agricultural Center. So this is a really, really cool community collaborative that includes partners such as um, Hood Huggers International, Green Opportunities, Bountiful Cities, um, the Residence Council of the Housing Authority, uh, Word on the Street. So these are all entities that are doing work um, in these communities, particularly in the South Side community. Um, and the idea is to bring together a community-driven um, initiative that centers two things. Uh, first, agriculture, sustainable agriculture, food systems, um, and then uh, pathways to economic mobility, largely through the arts uh, and culture. Um, the Eddington Center is the home base for the Southside Arts and Agricultural Center. Um, And at the Eddington Center, there's the Southside Community Gardens, which is in the back of the building there. And then we talked about the Reed Center at the time, uh, the former Livingston Street School, uh, being renovated um, and the Grant Center being built. Well, the... um, the auditorium in that facility was never rebuilt. Um, Mm -hmm. And right now it just stands as a storage space. So this community collaborative received funding from the Kresge Foundation um, to do a variety of things in the community, one of which is to renovate that auditorium. We took some of the funds that were allocated in the the grant uh, and were able to work with the housing authority to leverage that. So the housing authority put in um, money of their own and have also gone to do some fundraising for additional 
additional funds. So we're looking at um, ideally once the we're still waiting for final approval and everything, but we're hopeful of having upwards of seven hundred thousand dollars to begin a renovation of the auditorium at the Eddington Center this fall. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So Southside Rising is an event to let the community know about the Southside Arts and Agricultural Center okay. and the work that it's doing because this is the first time um, in a long time where there's a really truly community driven uh, coalition to put the community first. Mm-hmm. Um, even though we do have organizations that are serving the community, those organizations have as part of their mission to serve in, and, and, and work for their board. Uh, Southside Arts and Agriculture Center works for the community. Um, and keeps the community at heart and does that work through the Eddington Center and sees the Eddington Center as the heart of this Southside community and that the the vitality uh, of the community uh, and the vitality of that building are one and the same. Right. And so, yeah. So, I mean, you know, so this, the July 14th event will be launching this. And, you know, and I got to think, Sekou, there's going to be a lot of excitement around that because, you know, people have a real attachment to that building. Um, I grew up here in the city, and I know my aunt, uh, Shirley Waters, who is something of a playwright. She's an artist herself, went to Allen High School, a graduate from there. She wrote two plays that were that were produced in that um, in in that theater, and so it will be good to see that 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 space come back to life. So I applaud the efforts that you're doing here. As I'm listening to this, you know, I think about enthusiasm, the enthusiasm that this will bring to that community, and I also think about the word innovation. You know, because I'm I'm wondering because I have not heard of anything quite like what it is that you are describing here for any other community. This is one of the reasons why I'm hoping that the Institute for Emerging Issues at North Carolina State University will pay attention to what it is that you all are doing on the South Side and will highlight that as they're doing these series of forums across the state. But is there a model for this or will the South Side project serve as a model for other communities? Well, I think the the answer is yes to both. Um, there are some components of the work that is being done that are pulled from other uh, national models. And as I mentioned, the Kresge Foundation um, was a, the funder that helped to make the Southside Arts and Agriculture Initiative possible. Um, and as a funder, they are looking to support innovative approaches uh, to um, uh, to community development. Mm-hmm. So we were one of uh, a hand handful of uh, grantees that were awarded. And then through the work of Kresge, we're able to collaborate and learn from those others and find out what they're doing that's working. They can find out from us what we're doing that's working. And so there's a knowledge share. And they're also being very flexible and supportive when we encounter situations that say, we might have planned to do things um, in this particular fashion, but we're really realizing that there's challenges and the better opportunity is to go in a different way. And the foundation says, yes, go ahead and do that. And that really flies in the face of the way that a lot of funding organizations work and how they work with communities because it's traditionally, we'll give you this money if you do these things. Mm-hmm. And they, pre- they give you the checklist and you have to check off on all the things. Uh, and a lot of times you put a lot of work and effort into getting the funding. And then by the time you get it in, things are changed and you can't do it in the same way. And there's no real flexibility. So uh, it becomes a challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, in this case, what we've been able to do is say, we really want to center the experience of the community um, in, in our work. No and we want to make sure that what we're doing engages them and works for them. 
them. So this event on the 14th of July is going to be one that in addition to having lots of fun, family-friendly activities, mm-hmm. we'll have food, we'll have games, we'll have performance. We're going to have something called the Justice First Design Jam. Mm-hmm. Now, this design jam is a civic engagement, uh, community engagement activity uh, that is really borrowed from a, um, a national model known as Project Heal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Project Heal was um, uh, a, a framework that began in Louisville, Kentucky, uh, with a group of folks known as Ideas X Lab. Uh, and I've been working with them and in communication with them for a little over a year now on a, var- a variety of other uh, projects and opportunities. Mm-hmm. But really, what it's designed to do is to take the arts and culture sector, uh, the public health sector, and the community engagement sector, and bring people together to uh, develop strategies for more hopeful, resilient communities. Mm -hmm. And when we're talking about hope, we're not just talking about hope in terms of wishful thinking. We're talking about hope in terms of the theory of Mm -hmm. of hope and um, and what that means in terms of having pathways, um, having goals, and having the agency uh, to make those things happen. So this design jam is a means to bring together some elected officials, bring together community uh, leaders uh, and residents of the community to look, look, look at what does it look like to put justice first for the Southside community, specifically in four areas, one of them around um, environmental um, and sustainable uh, communities. So when we're talking about food systems, when we're talking about growing your own food, when we're talking about all the construction that's going on, like what's up with the chemicals that are going on in the construction right around the house, right around the corner from where people live, and what is that doing to the water supply? Um, we're, we're looking at also uh, economic mobility. Um, we're looking at social impact, so policies that are being made and how they impact folks, uh, and then mind and body health. Um, because I think the the model of civic engagement in the past has been uh, get involved so you can go out and vote or so you can you know lobby elected officials. Uh, but health, it, it's so much more than mm-hmm. that. It's it so much more than that. Mm-hmm. You have to look at policy. You have to look at how things are impacting people on a personal level. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the hope of this design jam is to walk away with a, a well-being index uh, so that we can begin to get from the words and from the lived experience of Southside community residents uh, how they are being impacted in health, how they are being impacted in, uh, in, in social policies, how they're being impacted um, in economic mm-hmm. policies and pathways to mobility. What are the resources that are available? Uh, what are What's the capacity they have? And then how do we line this up so that, okay, in uh, in 30 days, in six months, in a year, what's reasonable? What can we accomplish? Mm-hmm. Um, and what can we look at? And who can we hold accountable for those things? And so we want to engage the community in this work on that day so that the Southside Arts and Agricultural Center can use that as a blueprint, as a dashboard. This is what the community is saying that is in, that it's important. So this is what's going to drive our work. Right. And we've looked to invite um, uh, Al Whitesides, mm-hmm. uh, County Commissioner, uh, Senator Terry Van Dyne, mm-hmm. uh, Councilwoman Shanika Smith. So we want to have uh, community representatives along with many of our partners, including Dogwood Alliance, um, uh, New Alpha Community Development, um, um, and others who will be coming to the table to talk about these, these issues and engage the community um, in this meaningful conversation and action. 
I just want to say, and I know, Marcus, you're going to jump in here, too. I just want to say that the way that the Kresge Foundation is approaching this, this is great. I mean, and so, you know, my my historical uh, frame of mind starts working again when I think about that. And Asheville has been somewhat the center of innovation when it comes to some of these philanthropic endeavors, I think. Anyway, and it goes back, I, I can't help but think about the relationship that George Vanderbilt had with, with the African-American community on the East End in building um, the YMI because he did it in a way that gave them the opportunity to be very innovative in the way that the resources were used. So this is great that the Kresge Foundation is giving some flexibility here. This is wonderful. Yeah, and this really strikes me as a, as a holistic approach to, to, to community engagement, to civic mm-hmm. engagement, bringing together sustainable agriculture, economic mobility, and the arts. And it, and it makes me think about the relationship between um, the arts and civic health. Uh, could you say a little bit? I, I think you've begun to sort of uh, uh, touch on that, but could you say a bit more about that relationship? Because yeah. I, I think this is an important sort of core relationship uh, motivating this work. Yeah, well, we we know from science that, you know, people feel better when they're engaging with arts, mm-hmm. right? That's There's a marked improvement, brain chemistry, whatever it is, whether it's music, dance, reading, poetry, whatever. Um, so people engage with art um, in, in a better way than they do with other forms uh, mm-hmm. of, 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 of engagement. And so using artists, and a lot of times communities like the South Side have um, underutilized and untapped artistic resources in the form of per, uh, performers, uh, in the form of artists, um, and so by being able to tap into these artists and get them engaged at raising awareness around social issues um, and getting people to be involved in community issues, that's an innovative approach. In addition, looking at things through a public health lens, um, you know, a lot of money is spent in the health sector. Um, and a lot of times um, the things that this money is spent to address are not really being addressed mm-hmm. properly because the models of how to get that work done are buried in these traditional types of uh, paradigms. So looking at using arts as a tool for civic engagement, looking at using arts as a tool for getting people into looking at public health um, and changing policy around public health and exploring what are known as the social determinants of health, those kinds of things that impact how healthy you are but are not necessarily related to going and seeing a doctor. Mm -hmm. Um, That is a new way of having the conversation Mm -hmm. um, and getting people engaged in in their futures. Well, you know, Seku, I can't help but think about the need for flexibility that, you know, I I think here of uh, Tip O'Neill, former Congressman Tip O'Neill, and what did he say about politics? That all politics is local. And I think the innovation is local. You know, so in this meeting that I've, I've recently participated in uh, with the Institute for Emerging Issues, they gave statistical data that said that people are beginning to turn away from the national government and even from their state's government. Governments. Given the current climate that we're in, I can see why that's the case. So we're looking more to the local community, you know, to figure out the answers to our own problems. And and I have to say that, you know, I want to applaud the work that you're doing that. I think that, that for me, this is historical because this has been one of the unique features about the American experience 
that I think that we have forgotten over time. And I think that it is good that you are helping through this project and your partners in this project. They're helping to lead us back to where I think we, we've kind of come from. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, we've got two minutes left in the show, and I tell you, yeah, it does. It flies. (laughs) It goes by very fast. But, Seku, we want to thank you for coming in here. One of the questions that I didn't get a chance to ask you was, you know, how did you get involved in this project? But we're going to have to have a follow-up conversation. because Can I at least say just one last time, the uh, Southside Rising for Justice, um, July 14th, 2018, from 1 p.m. to uh, 9 p.m. at the Arthur Eddington Center on Livingston Street in Southside Asheville. Oh, thank, you. thank you. Thank you. Marcus and I'll be back in a moment. Well, again, thank you for joining us here on the Waters and Harvey show. This has been a good episode, rich conversation, talking about civic engagement and looking at this wonderful example in the Southside community of what is happening to really around the issue of community resilience. Yeah, and I think part of what is so exciting to me about this work is that um, it really links the question of civic engagement in the black community to to overall health, it which does. I think is so important for, for, for African-American it does. Persons. One of the things, Marcus, I wanted to ask Seku about, and we'll have to have this follow-up conversation with them, is a year from now, what does he want to see? Right. Especially right. after they launch this project. So we'll yeah. come back to that. But again, Marcus and I want to thank you all for joining us. And to remind you that the Waterson Harvest Show is produced at Blue Ridge Public Radio in Asheville, North Carolina. And you can listen to our podcast on BPR.org, on the BPR mobile app, and on iTunes and Google Play. Follow us and get in touch on Facebook and Twitter. And Marcus and I I will look forward to talking to you again next time. Take care.